you guys want to do, uh, maybe let's just sing that chorus together one, one more time before we get in the word tonight. Word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness, word of God speak. First John chapter two, verse 12 through 14 is where we are tonight. Most of you guys hopefully have been paying attention. Some of you probably without even looking can tell me the uh, four purposes that the Holy Spirit had for writing this book through John. Anybody tell me the first one. It's quiz time that you might be filled with joy. That's chapter one, verse four. You see that? He says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Okay, that's First John chapter 1, verse 4. One explicit purpose that he had in writing this. Anybody remember the second one? That we might be freed from sin. Chapter 2, verse 1, you find that. It says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Then the third one, he says, uh, the Holy Spirit through John writes that we might be able to fend off deception. That's chapter 2, verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. And then the fourth explicit reason that he gives is that uh, we might have firm assurance. assurance. That's chapter 5, verse 13. That says, these things I have written to you, that you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So this book is written to believers, okay? That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Those are the four purposes that we've looked at in depth and reviewed and probably going to review until we're done. Four purposes for writing the book. Now, think about it. These are things that when you he's basically saying because the word of God never returns void, he always accomplishes the thing that he wants to do when you read it with, you know, uh, even a little bit of attention when you actually put your mind in gear and pay attention to what he's saying and are, are willing to be changed because of those things. Those are the four purposes that he intends that the Holy Spirit intends to accomplish future tense in you as you read the book. Make sense. But tonight we're going to see maybe the better word is reasons that he's writing to this particular audience, which would be you. Meaning, if the purposes are to accomplish these things in you, he's going to say tonight, well, the reasons that I'm writing this is because of what God has already accomplished in you, believers. Tracking with me? Purpose, what he intends to and can accomplish in in the present and the future, the reasons that he's chosen you to write to is because of the following, verses 12 through 14. Let me put it this way. In other words, you can read in these verses, it's like John John is saying this to you, the reader. When he says in chapter 1, verse 4, be filled with joy, that you might be filled with joy, he's saying, look, it's not that I'm writing this letter because you are joyless, that you don't have any joy. Uh, 
concerning freedom from sin, he's saying, look, it's not like I'm writing this letter because you guys are filled with sin and you're terrible sinners. Okay, it's like in uh, chapter 226 when he's talking about fending off deception. John, in these verses that we're looking at tonight, it's like he's saying, it's not like I'm writing this book because you're so gullible, because you're so ripe for the picking, because you're so badly prepared to fend off deception. In chapter 5, verse 13, the firm assurance, he's saying, look, it's not that I'm writing this because you are so flaky, you're so shallow in your faith that you desperately need firm assurance. Okay? So that's why he's writing these things. He says, no, on the contrary, verse 12, ready? On the contrary, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Once again, we're reminded what an encourager John is, this apostle, right? He mentions, if you notice, if you break it down, there's three categories of Christians, right? Little children, babes in Christ, young men, uh, those who gathered some strength, have been around a little while spiritually maybe, and fathers, those who are, are quite mature. Basically, I think it's safe to say, if you're a believer, I don't know your heart, I don't know where you are in your walk with, with the Lord, but if you believe in him, if you've given your life to him, I can tell you that you're in one of these three categories. So this should cover everybody here in the room who is a believer. This is all talking about, John is talking about spiritual maturity. And just from the get-go, we should say a couple things. This is not gender-specific, right? He's talking about babes, young men, fathers, but women are definitely included here, okay? Um, women all fall in the same categories, which is uh, babes in Christ, right? Uh, young women who have gathered strength and had victory and fathers, <laughs> mothers, right, who uh, have maturity and can lead others. So it's not tied into gender and it's also not necessarily tied into physical age. You can be 60 years old. Matter of fact, I just talked with somebody um, this last week who is like 60 years old and they've just now become a believer. So they're a 60-year-old baby, and it's a good thing. It's cool. Um, matter of fact, you could be a 30-year-old, and you could be in any one of these categories. You could be a, a babe in Christ, just newly born, right? You could be a young man who uh, is in the midst of gaining victory, or you could even be a spiritual father, someone who is uh, so mature you're investing in others as well. So it doesn't mean it's not gender specific. It's not uh, tied in necessarily with physical age. And it's also, by the way, not necessarily tied in to how long you've been a Christian. You guys ever know that there's sometimes you'll, you'll meet somebody who's only been saved for, it seems like, you know, a few months or whatever. And I was like, wow, how did they grow up so fast? They get so mature. Well, we're going to see their secret tonight. But also, do you... Maybe know some who call themselves Christians and they've been in spiritual diapers for quite some time. 
See, John looks at every believer in this room and he sees you in one of three categories here. And the cool thing is that he finds something good to say about you, no matter what category you're in. Right, you guys, you've heard your mom. How many heard you actually heard your mom say, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, okay? How many of you have found, like, that means you just end up going pretty quiet? John finds something nice to say about all three of these categories. It's not like, and it's true, by the way. It's not like the PC politically correct repackaging that we have today, right? How bald is now follically challenged. A crook is more morally challenged, ethically challenged. I like this one. Clumsy, uniquely coordinated. And the a, a corpse could be called metabically, metabolically challenged, I should say. Or a group of dead people, a whole cemetery, I guess you could say they are persons living with entropy. If I happen to be overweight, I mean, if I was, I could say I'm a person of mass. Or maybe even better, a person of substance. <laughs> Plagiarism is now previously owned prose. And finally, this, is, this one's my favorite because I can actually use this. Instead of being pasty white, I can say I'm melanin impoverished. <clears throat> but John looks at you. No matter where you are in your maturity level, he looks at you and he finds something that he can say nice about you that's actually true. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. He says, first of all, I write to you little children. And by the way, this one includes all of us. Notice at, at chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, he says this again. He is, if you weren't here with us for a while, this guy is 90 years old. He's seen it all. He's experienced it all. He's watched 10 of his good friends die martyrs' deaths for Jesus. So he speaks as a teacher. This is a, a very affectionate term, uh, a teacher speaking about his students. Verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Um, that word forgiven is an awesome word. It's aphemi, and it means to send away. You guys heard the word uh, scapegoat? Did you know that that has origins in the Old Testament? The scapegoat was literally a goat that was driven off into the wilderness as part of the ceremonies of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Um, the, the goat would symbolize, it would carry the sins of the people it would be sent off into the wilderness to perish. Since then, of course, the word scapegoat has come to mean a person, often innocent, who is blamed and punished for the sins or the crimes or the sufferings of others. That's Jesus, right? He's the one who was sent away with our sins. So if you are a believer tonight, if you've given your life to Jesus, John can say this truthfully about you. Look, your sins have been put on the back of Christ. He was sent away from the fellowship of the Father who he had had relationship with from eternity past. And Jesus 
was sent away with your sins. He took them all the way to the grave and he left them there. And he emerged and came back victorious. Because he's taken away our sins, we can now have fellowship with the Father. He gave up fellowship with the Father. By the way, that's a key uh, idea in this book. Fellowship with the Father. It's the key to joy. It's the key to, to sinning less. It's the key to so many things. Having fellowship with the Father. Because he was willing to give up momentarily that fellowship with the Father. Now we can have this thing called fellowship with a holy God. Matter of fact, look at the end of verse 13. You'll see the other place that's written about these children. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. That word is gnosko. It means to know, to know by experience. If you are a Christian tonight, two things that you can say about yourself. Number one, your sins are forgiven. Psalm 32 Verse 1 says, happy or blessed is he whose transgression, that is his sin, is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I would uh, underline that to say whose sin is sent away. And then it says, um, uh, our, our chapter, tw- chapter 2, verse 12, says that this was done for his name's sake. Your sins are forgiven, number one. Number two, that you have access to the Father because of what Jesus has done. To be, uh, have you thought about this? To be a babe in Christ, to be born again, you pretty much don't have to do anything. Just be born. Right? To be born into the family of God, you must be born again. How does that happen? John 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he says it over and over again. You must be born again. John Wesley, famous preacher, used to go around um, and pretty much most of the time that he gave a message at one period of his life, it was his message was this. You must be born again. And then he would uh, riff on that for a while and he'd be done. And he would do this over and over again. And uh, finally, someone stopped him and said, what's what's the deal? I mean, surely, I mean, you know, the Bible, right? You could probably do something more than you must be born again says, why are you doing this? And he says, well, because you must be born again. It's that important, right? This is the beginning. Nothing happens unless this is true in your life. And how do, how do you become born again? Well, look at verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you. Then it says, for his name's sake. Whose names? Jesus Right. That means your sins have gone on his account. Acts four, verse 12 says, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name than Jesus that can save you, that can remove those sins from you. And how do you become born again? Romans ten nine says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, I don't know everybody's heart here tonight, so whenever there's an opportunity like this, I always feel like I need to take it. Look, if, you don't, if you're not part of the family of God yet, if everything I'm saying is like, well, that sounds kind of neat, but I've never really taken that step. You can do that tonight. It's very, very simple. It's, it's easy for us. It's costly for him, but he's already paid the price. You can make him your Lord and Savior tonight. 
How do you do it? You confess with your mouth that he's Lord. You say to him, Lord, you are the boss. I believe that you live, that you die, that you rose again, and that you're willing to pay for my sin and that you've already paid for it. I just need to receive it. So, Lord, I want to make that transaction. I want to make you the boss. I want you to make the decisions. And I want to have my sins taken far, far away from me. And the Bible says he can make you white as snow. Okay. So now once you are a newborn babe, what's next? How do you grow? Again, I don't know everybody's situation here, but I think and I hope that most, if not all of us, have a relationship with Jesus. We've entered into that. So what next? Because, I mean, babies are awesome to have around. Right. They bring joy. They bring excitement. They bring a new perspective. Those of you who have or have had babies. Right. Joy, excitement. Okay, sleepless nights, but also joy, excitement, new perspective. But here's the thing. You expect them to grow. Right. You expect them to change into something bigger, more productive, something that can mow the lawn eventually support you in your old age. Okay. I mean, really, babies are cute, but only if they grow up on schedule. Someone once said that babies are things with a loud noise at one end and no control at the other. And you could make the case that describes some husbands during football season, but it shouldn't be that way. So how do you grow? If that's if that's your next step. Well, let me give you a few thoughts on that. One thing that babies need, pretty much every baby I've ever met, is to be changed. Right? Can I get an amen? Okay. Babies are in constant need of cleansing. Let's put it that way. They can't do it by themselves. It must be done by someone much bigger. If you've been with us... I would bet that your your mind goes straight with me to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're a baby, one of the things you need, constant cleansing. You need to be confessing to this new father, this father that you haven't had previous experience with. You need to... To say the same thing, that's what that word confess means. Homo logeo means to say the same thing that, that he says, which is, Lord, I messed up here. Lord, help me here. Lord, I'm a wreck, but I need for you to cleanse me. And the Bible says that he is faithful always to do it. Okay? If you're a babe in Christ, um, you need to learn to confess to your father. Because if you don't, things will start to be foul. Start to stink. Here's another thing babies need. Faces, fellowship, interaction, right? Social interaction. God knows this, and that's why when otherwise sane adults come into close proximity with babies, they start going, isn't he cute? Right? All that stuff. I just want to bite him. All those things. Right. God knows that babies need friendly faces. They need fellowship. They need the brush of the cheek. 
That's why he has hardwires us to make fools of ourselves in front of babies. My point is, if you are a babe in Christ, well, for that matter, if you belong to the family of God at all, you need fellowship. You need that touch of another. If you want to grow healthy and well-adjusted, right, then you need fellowship. I mean, if you put a baby just off by itself, and let's say you do feed it and you do change it, but no other interaction, that baby's not going to end up quite right. If you want to grow to be healthy and well-adjusted, you need to be connected to the family. You need to have fellowship with other family members in the family of God. And you need to be changed continually through confession. But here's the most important and probably most of you thought of this first. To grow, what do babies need? Food. They need food. The Bible says that it is our food. It describes itself as the, the word of God as food. Psalm 119 says that your word, O Lord, is sweeter than the honeycomb. It nourishes, right? And Jesus himself, you guys remember when he was being tempted... And the, Satan came and said, look, if you're really who you say you are, turn this rock into a piece of bread. And he said, it is written, God shall not live by bread alone, but what? But why? By what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Right. That's why first Peter, chapter two, verse two says, as newborn babes, if that's the category you're in this, this morning, this evening, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Right. The word there. There are places that you can go in the scripture. The, the gospel of John is one of them um, that are just easy to read. They're they're helpful. They're like they're like the pure milk of the word. Um, in some ways, they're so deep. That's what's been said about the gospel of John. If you don't remember, this book is so deep that an elephant can wait in it. But in other ways, uh, uh, a child can can also wait in it. So newborn babes were supposed to desire the pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby. But listen, guys, there comes a time when every baby is supposed to grow up, to move on and to be interested in more than milk. So it was occurred to me some people in the church have taken their theology from Peter Pan. I will not grow up. You cannot make me. I mean, it sounds cute in a Disney movie, right? It's not so much in real life. Think about it. This is a uh, gross alert, I guess. Ready? Melbourne, Florida. This was just today. This came across the uh, Internet. A Florida woman was duped into changing diapers and providing care for a man she met through Craigslist who feigned disabilities. Turns out the man who hired this lady uh, to look after an adult brother with diminished capacity was the same guy she bottle fed and treated like a child for three months. Creepy. Really creepy. See, it works for Peter Pan, but not in real life. I mean, it's tragic at best when someone remains a baby, but they're bigger. At worst, it's downright creepy. Hebrews 5:12 says for though by this time you ought to be teachers 
You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, he was scolding them over and over again in his uh, letter. First Corinthians chapter three, verse one, he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. He's he's bothered by the fact that they should have grown, but they're still requiring milk. Verse two, I fed you with milk and not with solid food for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able for you are still carnal. See, there's two different places in the scriptures where people are taking the the children of God to task saying, why aren't you growing? Why, why, why must you be constantly spoon fed? Why is it only milk that you'll receive? You won't take the real meat. You guys, can I ask you a few convicting questions? You're like, well, do we have a choice? Don't don't answer these out loud, but in your mind. How long have you been a Christian? First question. A few days or a few weeks. Or has it been months or years? If it's only been a few days or weeks, then I don't have a lot to say to you other than awesome. Right. Relax. Enjoy this time with the Lord. Right. Grow in in the the grace and the knowledge of him. But if it's been months or years. Need to ask you a tough question. Are you still getting the majority of your spiritual nourishment through spoon feeding? Meaning coming to church, by the way, you're here on a Thursday, so you get points for that. Okay, but. Coming to church and having someone else break down the, the meat of the word into bite-sized pieces for you, that's an awesome thing. But this is supposed to be Sundays, Thursdays, the time when we meet together, y'all. It's supposed to be like a gourmet meal. But the rest of the week, we should be feeding ourselves. Is the sum total of your nourishment... Just when you come and are fed twice, once a week, whatever it might be. Let me ask you. If you fed fed yourself physically as often and as carefully as you feed yourself spiritually. Would you be on life support today? Right. Are you only having someone spoon feed you the word or have you? I hope some of you. I'd love it if all of us, but I'd be surprised if all of us, if you've begun to take your own knife and your own fork and you've started to rightly divide the meat of the word for yourself. And that, of course, brings up another question. What type of food do you eat? Is it only milk that's for babes or is it the meat of the word? Again, milk is that elementary stuff that goes down easy, right? God love it. Salvation, your sins are forgiven you. That's good milk. He loves you. And all of it is true. But there are some things, if you have been a student of the word for a while, you know that some things that are harder to swallow. Some things that need a little bit more chewing on. 
And I would say to you, if, if you're waiting for me to get to all of those things, have you been paying attention? We go like three verses at a time. <laughs> I, I think God wants us to mature a lot quicker than, than this. But it's not going to happen just by coming on Sundays and Thursdays. God wants you to mature so much more quickly than that. The way to do that is to have him be your teacher, you and him. Time with him is the best way to grow, okay? So we've covered babes in Christ. And again, if that's you because you've recently been born again, awesome. Welcome to the family. Just eat up, rest in the Lord, come to church, and we'll ooh and awe over you for a while. And we'll make sure you know things like 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, right? Confess your sins, all those things. But listen, if you've been born again for years, it's time for you to start feeding yourself. Okay, Um, next. We've seen babes. Let's look at the young men. Um, If you hadn't noticed, we're sort of taking this out of order just so that we can uh, follow it a little bit easier. Next, the young men. You see that that's in two places in the scriptures that we're looking at. Let's look at them together. Uh, The middle of verse 13, he says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And then at the end of verse 14, he says, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. It's cool that we had quite a bit of youth come tonight. Yay. Youth. I vaguely remember it. Right. That time when you're strong, you're in like anywhere from your teens to early 30s. Okay, Right. You're never stronger, never more physically strong than that time. Right. Professional athletes. This is the time when they peak. Right. This is when the things that they can accomplish are amazing. This is the time, y'all, for strength, for overcoming. This is the time when your metabolism is through the roof. This is the time when parents check their kids at night to see if they actually have a hollow leg because they eat so crazy and they never gain a stitch of weight. This is the time when you're supposed to have, y'all, a voracious appetite. And the reason that you're such an amazing machine, an amazing specimen, is that you have this voracious appetite and you have the ability to convert that appetite into action. That's what metabolism is, right? To just, right? Just like a vacuum cleaner with food. And then you turn it into action. Jumping, running, power. That's why verse 13 and 14 both talk about overcoming the wicked one. That word overcome is Nikeo. It's the same place we get the word Nike. Just do it. (laughs) Conquer. To carry off the victory, to come off victorious. What he's talking about here is, is those people who are in the stage of their life when they are making great progress, great strides. They are becoming victorious against, oh, temptation. Maybe persecution, maybe things that aren't going the way that you expected them to. Being in the midst of trials, but still being victorious. Let me put it this way. Looking from the the infants that we've been looking at, going to now the the young men and the young women. 
you, you could say that the model of Christian maturity goes from the bottle to the battle. And he intends for you to win. You, I think sometimes we forget. He intends for us to win the battle of the mind. And the thought life. And our actions and our decisions. The Bible says the spirit wars against the flesh and vice versa. Right? When you became a Christian, at first, you're just kind of coddled and, and it's like, oh, this is just awesome. But after a while, you, you wake up and you go, whoa, okay, there's a battle here. It's a battleground. Now, we're going to go into this a lot more in depth because there's so much here to uncover on Sunday. So I'm not going to give you so much the how to become victorious, but it's going to be pretty obvious. Um, but I won't give you the details of it. But I, I do want to ask you guys a question tonight because this is actually the first thing you have to, to decide. Let's say that you're, you've been in a place where you're somewhere, you're either an infant or, if you're honest, you're not an infant, but you're not really being victorious. The first thing that you need to decide is this. Are you willing to fight? Are you willing to fight? Or are you AWOL in the battle? Let me put it this way. Is there some area, don't raise your hand, that you have just conceded to the enemy? Meaning a year ago or a week ago or six months ago, you allowed him a foothold and now it's a stronghold and now you've just decided to fold. Say I'm a poet, didn't know it, actually I knew it. You gave him a foothold, then it became a stronghold, and now you're just like, <sighs> maybe your thinking goes like this. Look, I'm never going to have victory in that area. I mean, I have failed too many times. I'll just kind of, I'll just kind of shutter up that part of the castle, put boards on it, and just hope that the enemy won't use it as a base of operations against me. You know, I'll just give him that little section and hopefully he'll leave me alone. Okay, number one, how's that going to work for you? He's the enemy. He he doesn't just he doesn't play nice. If you give him a strong foothold, becomes a stronghold. You can't expect him to just go. Okay, all right, that's your section. This is my section. We'll we'll live in peace. No. But maybe tonight you have come and you, there is a, an area of your life that you have surrendered, if you will, to the enemy. Can I give you guys tonight a little pep talk? Or, depending on where you are, a swift kick in the pants. Listen to this. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, Paul, by the way, a spiritual father, is writing to Timothy, his protege, his son. Second Timothy 2, verse 3, he says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. If you've given up some area. Maybe you need to hear this tonight. You have been enlisted in his army. He paid dearly to enlist you. You are in the army now, son. 
And I think maybe you need to hear this. Like, you don't go AWOL. You don't concede defeat. You do whatever you must do to please him who enlisted you. But maybe you think, but I might fail again. I think I hear him saying, so you fail again. The one luxury you are not afforded is to quit. Don't you dare quit. First John four verse four says you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because, listen, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus said in his own words, Luke eleven twenty one and 22, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. He's speaking of the enemy who's got that little that section. But he says in verse 22, but when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him. He takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. I think Jesus is saying to some people tonight, look, I am the stronger man. Don't forget that. And I am in you. I live inside of you. So don't you dare give up. Forgive me, but I kind of feel like maybe the thing I need to say is get your fanny back in the fight, soldier. Now, how do you do that? Well, we're going to cover a lot more of that in depth, I think, on Sunday. But suffice it to say, it's really no secret. You find it there in verse 14. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And here it is. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. The way that you overcome, no big secret. I think there'll be more to learn on Sunday, but no big secret is this. You overcome when the word of God abides, that is, lives, is settled down in you. But for the word of God to be settled down in you, you have to settle down with the word. Does that make sense? For, for the word of God to dwell in you, to give you that victory, you have to spend time dwelling with the word of God. What we talked about, the, the young men, the young women who have victory... How does it happen? Voracious appetites, converting that food into action. What do we talk about every single time we meet at church? Reading the word and then applying it. What is that? <clears throat> Putting it into action. I don't know if I'm speaking to one person or ten people or every single person in the room. If you've got a stronghold that you need to take back, it might be a day or a week or a month or two month long siege that you need to go through to get back that territory. But you need to ramp up the reading of the words. You guys know that's how they would they would take a, a castle. They would build ramps right to be able to, to go in and, and take the castle. You need to ramp up your reading of the word and then putting it into action. You need to have a voracious appetite and put it into action. Obey. You need to let the word of God dwell richly in you, abide in you, and not just know it, but do it. And then John can write of you, verse 14. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Okay, we'll talk more about that on Sunday, but that leaves one category left, you guys, of spiritual maturity. We've seen the babes in Christ. We've seen the young men, the young women. 
And now we come to the uh, highest, I guess you would say, uh, mode of spiritual maturity, and that is fathers. Look at verse 13. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Quick. Who is him who is from the beginning? Jesus. Remember John's gospel, chapter one, John, chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word. And we discovered that that is another name for Jesus. The beginning was the word. The word became flesh. He was he is him who is from the beginning. Matter of fact, you don't have to go far that far back. You can go back just one chapter. Look at first John, chapter one, verse one. That which was from the beginning. There it is which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. There it is again. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear, bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. All of that. He's talking about Jesus. Matter of fact, verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. There's our, our key idea in this book, fellowship with us and with the father excuse me, may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. John is basically saying, fathers, you spiritual mature ones, I'm writing to you because you get it. You understand. You understand that fellowship with the father comes from knowing Jesus. Now look at verse 14 parallel part and notice that John basically has nothing new to say from verse 13 to 14 to these fathers. He says essentially the exact same thing. What does that tell you? Number one, it tells me that the beginning and ending of maturity, spiritual maturity is just knowing him. Just fostering that relationship with him. But notice something else. Look at the end of verse 13. Compared to the beginning of verse 14. Let's read it. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. But verse 14, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I don't know if it works this way for you, but for me. Kind of tells me that. We sort of come full circle. In our Christian walk, immaturity. We, we start out where, where the sum total of our Christian maturity is this. We, I get to know God is my dad and my sins are forgiven. That's pretty cool, right? That's the sum total. Then, then we grow up. We begin to feed ourselves. We go from the bottle to the battle. We go to war. We come back victorious. And then as we mature, it sort of gets simpler. The Christian life actually gets simpler and simpler. It's all about relationship. Same thing that we learned at the beginning. Right? Starts out as babes where we have this privilege of knowing him, but we and we enjoy it, but we don't really put any effort into it. But it ends up as fathers where we are actually practicing that privilege. We're taking advantage of it much more. I was thinking about this the, uh, from the babe's perspective. When you're first a newborn Christian babe, pretty much, at least this was way for me, the thing that astounded me was that I was forgiven. But the thing that I took for granted was my relationship with him. It's like, I'm forgiven. Cool. And I get this access to the Father, but I don't always 
take advantage of it, right? But as I mature, it's weird. I don't know how else to put this, but and I need to, to be careful in the way I say it. I don't feel like I take forgiveness for granted, but let me put it this way. Forgiveness is less astounding to me now, not because I think I deserve it more, but because he's done it so many times. It's like the more I'm with him, I know that he's going to forgive me because he always does. So forgiveness is less astounding because I know him. But now what astounds me is this relationship that he lets me be part of. Let me put it this way. Forgiveness the, the ability for me to accept his forgiveness is less astounding because I know more and more of him. But the fact that he wants a relationship with me is more astounding because he knows more and more of me. Or at least I know that he knows more and more of me. Does that make sense? Um, let me put it this way as we're getting ready to close here. The fathers in this spiritual level here, they are also in the word. Okay? If you notice, there's this... This theme, babies need the word. Young men, powerful, strong men need the word. And fathers are in the word. But the fathers are in the word, listen, not to grow or to go to war. They're just in the word to know. That's, that's what their, their whole focus is. Paul puts it much better than I could in, in shorter time. Which you all are like, finally. Philippians 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, Paul has just had a litany of things that he's, of qualifications that he has, things that he's accomplished. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence, here it is, of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul, at the end of his life, he could look back at the accomplishments, at the victories, all of the things that he's done. And he's like, you know what's really important? This relationship, this knowledge that I have of him. And I want more and more of it. And I count everything else just rubbish, garbage compared to that. See, fathers are at a place where everything else is pale by comparison. Forgiveness, accolades, attaboys, victories. The one thing that you really want as a father in this definition is just to know him. So that brings the question. I think I have applications here for everybody. But maybe you're thinking, what, what possible application could there be for a father? I mean, they've kind of reached the pinnacle, right? Well, number one, if you, if you are a father, just to remind you that that is the, that is your goal. That is your job, right? To have that relationship with him. But number two, what's an application? How about this? Fathers pass it on. Right? A father's job, his, one of his primary jobs is to pass on to those, to the next generation, the things that he's learned. To pass on in humility the things that he's learned. So I would ask you, and, and probably, if I know you guys, you're all so humble. None of you would maybe even think, okay, well, that's kind of me. Um, but if, if you do think, well, maybe I'm not. I definitely, I don't think I'm a babe. And I've had plenty of victory. Um, so maybe I'm like a father in training or whatever. 
my application for you would be this. Are you passing it on? Let me put it a different way from Paul's perspective. Who's your Timothy? Who's the person that you are pouring your life into for the, the sake of the next generation? So no matter where you are as a Christian, I think John has something to say to you tonight. And it might be convicting, but it's also definitely meant to be encouraging. So if he's saying something to you, that means then that the Holy Spirit also has something for you to apply. I'd just like to read the text tonight as we close. You ready? John says, look, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness in it. And we ask, Lord, that you'd please meet us here. Uh, We want to have this time of application. We don't want to be those who just hear you and then do nothing and build our house, Lord, on sand. Um, Please help us, Lord, to be smart and productive with this time. In Jesus' name, amen.